Yo, what's good? It's another episode of Real Sankara Hours. Uh, today's date is July 22nd, 2020. Um, uh, yeah, 2020 is just... Fuck. Um, anyway, follow us at... Yeah, follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Mostly about um, the shit going on in Portland and Trump's um, expansion of federal agents to cities and then... Also, uh, we do want to give a tribute to um, uh, a friend of the show, uh, dear Michael Brooks, who uh, passed away recently. So we'll be talking about that. But uh, yeah, it's Real Sankara Hours. If you're not a patron, you should be a patron. Um, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Real Hours. Again, patreon.com slash Real Hours. $5 a month, you get bonus episodes, bonus content. Um bonus interviews theory readings um other types of stuff uh yeah i'm adam hudson we... follow me at adam hudson five on twitter uh this is peter m gun follow me at m gun peter and joining us uh today is uh the brainchild behind the resistance noir network uh q aka andre how's it going thanks for having me on yeah oh yeah our pleasure yeah we've been i mean we've been meaning to have you on so it's just yeah finally finally here um yeah let's let's uh let's yeah let's just get into so like uh for people who um are have not heard or i'm sure a lot of people have heard this but um this is a couple days ago like last week um there were federal agents um who were who were unmarked like they had no markings they didn't announce yeah. themselves they were apparently with um border patrol and dhs and so they were basically rounding up uh non-violent protesters in portland oregon and there was apparently an executive order that trump signed to basically crack down on um people defacing statues and federal property so um yeah, so that happened in Portland is still going on. And today, just recently, Trump announced a surge of hundreds of federal agents to several other cities, including Chicago, um, uh, uh, New York City, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Milwaukee. So, um, yeah, this is so. This is basically like you know, penis, yeah, real penis shit. shit. I mean, we are. I mean, this is it. I mean, we are in the, the. I don't want to say eye of the storm, but we are. We are in. You know that. Whatever you know, we are in that moment. Um, we are in that space of whatever you know list checklist on the road to fascism or something. I mean, we are basically there and. You know, while Trump is representing the, uh, like, the, you know, bleeding edge of new fascist tactics deployed by the U.S. government, I mean, all of this is, uh, all of this is, is built off of infrastructure that has been a couple decades in the making. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, like, so, uh, so Andre, like, what what's your reaction to this? I I have more to get into, but like your initial yeah. thoughts on this. What I really hate about this is that everyone is blaming 
what's been happening on Donald Trump, that this is a creature of the Trump presidency, that you have federal agents that um, that don't identify themselves as belonging to any particular department. They just have police written across their chests or like stitched across it, their chests. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. don't know what, what department they belong to. You don't know what jurisdiction they have to even enact an arrest on a U.S. citizen. And the the Democrats right now are working or like they're just spinning their wheels so hard to make all of this seem a, a peculiar creature of the Trump presidency. When, I mean, if you take it back to the, uh, the Patriot Act, if you look at the expansion of police powers under the Obama presidency, none of this is anything particularly new to the Trump administration. He's just, he's, ina- he's enacting the powers that were granted to the executive over the course of about 16, 17 years. So I, what I, what really boils my guts about this is that we were having these arguments back when I was in university, like back around 2001, 2002, 2003, and the amount of extraordinary powers that the federal government granted to the executive and the Democrats completely rolled over on just about everything because they were afraid of of seeming like they were not patriotic, that they were soft on the war on terror and so on. And if you read any sort of decolonial literature, if you read Franz Fanon, if you read Amy Césaire, you read just about anyone that has been subject to U.S. terror overseas or in foreign lands, they will all say people act really fucking surprised when the same thing that Americans and Europeans have been doing to us over here happen back home. So none of it comes as a surprise. I'm just a little yeah. bit peeved that people <laughs> are buying the line that this is trump overreach and not this is these are powers that the government's afforded to itself yeah and just to like just to add on to that so uh my initial like when i initially saw like that there's so yeah there is a video of basically these again like these unmarked um federal agents they did not announce themselves and they just snatched up a protester and put the protester in an unmarked vehicle as someone who's been to guantanamo back in 2013 like that was my initial comparison, and here's why. Because um, I don't know if we have any Gen Z Gen Z people in our audience, but like, I mean, this is this this is. I mean, the beginnings of the war on terror are at the point where like the war on terror is older than some people who are already in college yeah. at this yeah. point. <laughs> so, so I just want to kind of give like a sort of a rewind on this, and also for people who like, you know, forgot. Uh, the the last 20 years because um that's just the nature of american discourse is that every five years we forget about shit or every year we forget about what happened really every three months it's yeah yeah so what happened um during the war on terror like after 9 11 um the 2001 authorization for military force was passed was basically just gave the executive branch um extra legal powers to use force against um not just al-qaeda but anyone who can be claimed to be affiliated with al-qaeda or like al-qaeda's buddies so it casts like this wide net to give the executive branch an immense amount of power to use force against so-called terrorists and so in the beginning um what happened particularly in afghanistan but other parts of um, the arab and muslim world is that um U.S. forces, and oftentimes working with local local forces, particularly in Pakistan and in Egypt, uh, 
the tactics were very, very similar to what we saw in Portland. Basically, you know, you find someone who's like, okay, this person could be affiliated with Al-Qaeda or the Taliban or some, some terrorists. So we're just going to basically raid their home or snatch them off the street, put them in a van somewhere, and then take them to some undisclosed location. So in the case of the war on terror, it was secret prisons, i.e. black sites or or sending them to another country where they would be tortured. So this was already, like Andre said, like this is already being done, particularly during the war on terror mm-hmm. and now it's back home and in 2000 the end of 2011 the yeah the end of 2011 beginning of 2012 um then president obama signed the national defense authorization act of 2012 and in that had a provision which allowed for the united states to indefinitely detain u.s citizens who are basically suspected terrorists basically detain people with without charge or trial indefinitely um and that was passed under obama like during his first term um so we're we're seeing that like right now like yeah like what what trump is doing he's already he's just doing uh the power like he's he's acting on the powers that the infrastructure has already given the executive branch and he's just taking it further and to add on to that, uh, let's another trip down memory lane. John, you, uh, a law. Oh prof- my God! Bring it <laughs> Imagine it. John, the gang's all here, uh, man. I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, Two, so the two thousands are back. You know, it's retro. Hell yeah! Oh uh, God, do I, does that mean that uh, crop tops are coming back? Does it? Does it mean the return <laughs> of? Are we going to see yeah. Jinko jeans again? Good God! Gonna, uh, one can only hope. We're, we're gonna have like spike tips and all that, baby. Uh, oh, yeah. oh my god! Oh, yeah. <laughs> low, low, ri- low rise jeans and frosted hair. Yeah, baby. Uh, so John, you again? This is a trip down memory lane. He uh wrote the torture memos, was basically like was just li- like just bullshit master's law to justify the use of torture. Um, John, you wrote those memos to basically just g- give the Bush administration legal justification to torture people which is against both u.s law and international law and yeah um but now um john Yu, he's been a professor at uc berkeley's bolt uh law school um for the past like decade or so and according to the guardian this this came out a couple days ago uh it says the Trump administration has been consulting the former government lawyer who wrote the legal justification for waterboarding on how the president might try to rule by decree. John Yu told the Garden he, he has been talking to White House officials about his view that a recent Supreme Court ruling on immigration would allow Trump to use executive orders on whether to apply existing federal laws. So, uh, but yeah, and I think this is, this is pretty much in the context of like, the federal agents who are doing the snatching, those are um, uh, Border Patrol. So yeah. it's giving Border Patrol power to basically go beyond the U.S. border and deeper into wow. U.S. territory wow. to snatch so up people. So basically what you're seeing is the front line is everywhere. There'd be no shelter here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, deep rage deep cut. I love it. 
Um, <laughs> I, yeah, the, I mean, one thing I will say about the Border Patrol, and I'm pretty sure when DHS was formed is when they got this enhanced power. Border Patrol actually has the power to operate within a 100-mile radius of any coastline or national border, yep. which includes basically 60% of the population. Um, mm-hmm. If you, you know, it's the entire eastern seaboard, basically the entire west coast. I mean, the entire state of Michigan, um, you know, I've even Columbus, which is like in the middle of Ohio, is still, I think, is just barely in it, you know. And it's just like that. Yeah, the the it, the Patriot Act, the formation of the Department of Homeland Security, I th- like when they said, you know, at the time they said uh, the problem was that all these, you know, all these different intelligence agencies weren't communicating with each other and coordinating what we're doing with the DHS is getting all the information together. You know, they made it sound like it was a database thing. I mean, what it was, was they were creating, you know, the police state, the surveillance state, the, you know, I'm not going to use anti-Soviet metaphors, but that thing that everyone is afraid of, like they created it in public view in 2000, in the 2000s. And they've just been waiting for a chance to use it, and you know when civil unrest gets to the point where they can deploy these tactics. Um, and you know the they it's you know I mean they know what political economy is. They know that like shit's only going to get worse, and the ruling class is not going to have any inclination to throw any of us any bones in any significant way. And so things are going to, you know, they understand the climate catastrophes that are coming and, you know, they want to stay in power. And so, you know, this these kind of tactics are only going to get worse, though. It is I mean, there are there are a lot of really scary stuff, especially in Portland, because of the amount of Nazis and white supremacists that are just roaming around. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, basically like the you know, I mean, yes, like we all know they're like Nazis and cops. Or you know a lot a lot of Nazi cops out there, but the kind of the Patriot Prayer formations. I mean, the blur, the distinction between like you know a s- fascist gang and like the Portland police is is getting like increasingly blurred. And you know some some of these people are Feds who are snatching people and putting them in minivans. I saw a I saw one video which I was it was it was very. Portland I don't know you know it's I wonder where uh yeah like Fred Armisen and those people are where it's like oh now Portland's being terrorized by the feds but because the person videotaking was like use your words where are you taking them like they're talking to a five-year-old use your words (laughs) it's like no they're they're not they're not saying anything they and they put them in like a Chevy Astro van I mean it was a minivan which was very strange but I you know, I thought I saw one the other day, and I was kind of scrolling past as I saw this. And I, I, you know how like you see a tweet and you want to click on it, but then Twitter refreshes the page and then you lose the tweet. Yeah. And then yeah. I was searching for it and I couldn't find it, but I, I could have sworn I saw one where, like, a Fed was telling the the uh, an observer that if you follow behind this vehicle, you're going to be shot. <laughs> like I, I like I yeah, heard probably. it and I tried to cl- and I tried to click on the tweet and it disappeared. And I'm like, fuck! I can't believe I lost this <laughs> one. But that was the one that like made my blood run cold. I'm like. They can just disappear you to wherever, and nobody can actually even legally observe. So basically, like the black sites that they were ta- that uh, that that they were shown to have, that the Chicago police were shown mm-hmm. to have, now they're just creating these black sites wherever the hell they want. And 
what are what are Democrats going to do about this besides a few saber rattling tweets and filing lawsuits that go who knows where? You know what yeah. I mean? Like this 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 is an this is actual like now we're dealing with actual fascism. This is no longer <laughs> a, a drill. This is like all all of the powers that you went and afforded to this office are now being put into effect. So then my question after this is. So let's say Joe Biden actually does win the election. Like let's let's say that the votes are all counted. Let's say that all of the polling locations that are supposed to be open are open. Let's say people are actually going to come out to the polls and risk their health to do so. And that Trump steps down out of office yeah. if the results show that the electoral college voted for Joe Biden. What then are they going to do right. with all yeah. of this excess power I mean, that the I executive think office gonna... seems to have is my question. Because uh, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop being the. It doesn't stop being. I mean, I, I, I guess like if we're seeing fascism happen with no additional powers afforded to the executive office, like Trump didn't just go ahead and grant himself powers. These are powers that were granted by con- Congress over the course of a, of almost a couple of decades. So then my question is, okay, well, how do you scale back from that, and what do you call a fascist government once you've gotten rid of the fascist right. executive or? Uh, commander in chief yeah. what do you call it then you know what i mean well yeah th- yeah i mean this is you know we that's why we operate under the george jackson thesis you know because he said in the 70s fascism is already here and i mean yeah on one level if it is fascism then you can't vote then you can't just vote it out i mean you know it's a it's a state it's a bourgeois imperialist state and it acts to protect its interests and you know yeah all the all the overreaching powers they have i mean they could use them to go after the nazis i mean if if you wanted to do something productive with all those powers but they don't um you know the feds like the fbi you know quote unquote went undercover in the clan for like 25 <laughs> years or whatever it's like no you were just joining the clan at that point it wasn't like uh it was like no we're in deep cover we're going to bring them down one of these days it's like no you just you were just in the clan um <laughs> You know, it's like, it, yeah, the and I think about, you know, the kind of people they pick up right in Portland is uh, just the, you know, just some random person who was at a protest and, you know, maybe they like spray painted a statue and now the, yeah, they're put they find themselves in a black site. And they're like, tell me about Antifa. It's like, I don't know. What she, I mean, the stupidest thing about this is, yeah, Antifa is not an organization like you're gonna like as though there's some sort of actual anarchist network like the like, i'm just thinking of like i'm just thinking of the the interrogator with the fucking uh buzz cut and <laughs> the, like the barbed wire tattoo around his forearm just above like the three percenter tattoo who like leans over with his white knuckles on the table and says tell me about antifa who is antifa and then the the, the poor fucking like barista that went out to the protest just to right. like support their friends is like I, I i i don't know what the fuck you're talking about I, dude you know what i mean i'm like, only in the I'm, dsa I'm just don't hurt them. me okay. <laughs> i don't want any all of this oh my god I just, the the amount of overkill yeah, yeah. like and yeah, we're just, to, we're just having we're trying to this is not to we're trying to add uh, uh, some levity to the situation if you're taking <laughs> if you're taking no i'm just saying some levity but I'm also saying, like, if you're taking tear gas to the face and you're doing it um, for the purpose of marching for black lives, but also marching against the tyranny that imperils black lives, like, hats off to you. Yeah. But I'm also going to say, like, 
there's no such thing as a professional protester. Like there aren't people training it. There aren't people like that are crawling um, underneath like trip wires, like through mud and shit. They're not climbing over sheer walls, like with knotted rope. Yeah. They're not rappelling in through windows and doing like checking clears on empty warehouses. These are just like normal everyday people yeah. that have seen something in the shape of their government and the con- the contours of social relations that tells them that there's something something deeply wrong with the state of the world and they're coming out to protest mm-hmm. against it this, they're just regular everyday people nobody is prepared for this kind of thing and the response they're being met with is being treated like terrorists on their own soil for exercising their god-given right to protest government overreach and you know what's really funny about that all these organizations you know, all of these, like these, these, uh, these militia people, uh, the, uh, the NRA, all of these right wingers with these, uh, black attack holo- helicopter conspiracy theories and shit. No. Do you see them? No, not at all. Having any say about this? Like, do they have any opinions about this whatsoever? Know. Yeah. Other, other than, I mean, basically, than, like those people yeah, you're talking on their about, necks. like, like those sort of like that white t- libertarian yeah. dudes, like they've moved from libertarianism to Nazism. Like, th- like, because the thing with libertarians, like, most like for much of much yeah. of their pet issue was decriminalizing drugs and marijuana and for the most part like um i mean at least in california i mean it's not the case for all states but like, for the most part like that th- like there's already been like significant victories on that front so it's like okay like their issue when it comes to decriminalizing drugs like it's you know the country's already moving forward in that direction so what else do you do? Oh, you move to Nazism because it's like there. There's no other like uh, because they, a lot of people also, who join yeah. liber- like not all libertarians, but a lot of people who join the like libertarian movement like they don't really care about like you know uh voluntarist free market or 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 an- anarcho capitalism like they is uh you know like a lot of those people are into like the the race science shit the um. The, the idea like oh like i'm gonna live in an anarchist uh like no government society and it's gonna be totally darwinian and uh in the midst of that situation white people are gonna come out on top so like it's just a way for them to live out like their sort of paranoid white survivalist um fantasy like they're not concerned about government overreach they're only concerned about government overreach to the extent it it gets in the way of them living out that fantasy. That's that's what that's that's why they hate the government. So when it comes to this issue, where like you have clear government overreach, and not even just clear government overreach, but decades and generations long, uh, state violent state repression against um, a, a population, black people, like a, a, a like an internally colonized nation of people, black folks who who were brought here in chains as slaves. And yeah, like going back to Chicago, Home and Square was basically a domestic black site. Like, like there's already there's there's always been like domestic state violent state repression of black people. But and and like this response, like this sort of like federal agent response that yeah. Trump is doing, it's just building off of that. So these, you know, like a lot of these libertarians, like they don't really care about that because it doesn't it doesn't impact them. Like they don't care. Like like they're the only the only the only reason why like they're huffing and puffing and shit about no. you know government overreach is because well they want to get a haircut uh at like you know uh fuckler like fuckler's uh barbershop or something and Very they nice. want to live out. <laughs> 
the the one the one with the, the one with the hey hey like, hey, hey. Now, I, I I know I know you have very strong feelings about Mr. Fuckler, but okay, <laughs> but he's he's been keeping my goatee on point for years, and I I demand I demand more respect than you appear to be showing. I I I I I, I I'm actually really puzzled um about this sort of like this death cult urge that is this taking over like grand mm. swaths of America. But we're actually yeah. experiencing it up in Canada too. The, now uh, we're moving on to stage three of our, I guess, oh. we call it, like, reopening the economy or whatever. Which is oh, like, you guys have an actual it. plan up there. That's hilarious. Uh, well, the thing is, uh, no, but but hold on. The this plan is the plan, at least in Ontario and provinces like Alberta, Saskatchewan, etc., aren't much more const- like well constructed than they are in the U.S. Yeah. Keep in mind. Mm-hmm. We don't actually have a cure for this thing yet. We don't have a vaccine right. for it. We don't have any treatment for it. We have measures with which we can contain. Uh, we're not contained, but at least like try to control the spread and outbreak. So at least in Ontario, for example, it is mandatory that you wear a mask if you go into like a public facility, if you go into a, a store, if you go into somebody's like private space that is open to the public. You do have to wear a mask. And I know that in several states, like you have actual governors that are mm. overruling mm. Uh, municipalities. Uh, and, yeah. and telling them that Texas, yeah, if, if you have famously. a if you have a mask rule in your stores, sorry about that, you no longer have a mask rule. And if you try to enact one, we're going to bring the full weight of the law down upon you. Like, I get that there is that, like the friction between state and uh, local ordinances, but here, like in British Columbia, where hmm. they've gone through the reopening process, now they're experiencing a spike in COVID cases again. And the thing, yeah. and the, the the part about the, the thing with Ontario, almost all of the cases that we've had were pretty much preventable. Um, people talk about like the, the great Canadian response to COVID and how we've had a, a, a much lower rate of infection and so on. But the rates of the, the infections have mostly taken place inside of long-term care facilities, especially in Ontario. Well, guess what happened to our long-term care facilities? Oh, why why the outbreak in long-term care facilities? <laughs> well, because we went and privatized them. Like under, oh, under, nice. yeah, under, previ- under a previous government, under the Mike Harris government, that is, Mike Harris was once the uh, the premier of Ontario, and this is back when I was in, like in high school and shit. All right, um, the Ontario government went through a process of privatizing long term care facilities. One of the largest of which is Chartwell Homes. Chartwell, incidentally, has just cases of COVID ripping through its facilities in almost like every major municipality in the province. And guess by the way. Who happens to be on the board of directors for Chartwell Homes? None other than the same fucking premier that privatized him in the first place, Mike Harris. Nice. So you want to talk? You want to talk about cronyism, corruption, and how all yeah. of that factors it, into actually, Andre? Uh, I want to uh, pick back on well, something we've got you said it all here about um, the Democrats' reaction because the reason, the, the other reason why I brought up John Yu is because when Obama came into office in two thousand nine, his uh, his response to because. Because there is a period during the end of the Bush era where a lot of liberals and people on the left, and and even like some civil libertarians were basically like there had they're they're pushing for right basically like there has to be real accountability because basically so, these someone's got to go to jail. Like, the, you know. the Iraq <laughs> war was a war of aggression. Torture is a war crime. So there is a push like okay like once yeah. the Bush administration gets out. Um, all these people who are directly responsible for those war crimes uh, basically just need to be tried at the Hague or something. So Obama's response, and keep in mind, at the time, what really got Obama into office was 
anti-Bush sentiment and anger at the Iraq war and the overreach of the war on terror, along with um, Bush's response to Hurricane Katrina, the 2008 crash, all that stuff. But but what what go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. I want to say um, that. Uh, yeah. I, when people are like. Uh, right. Yeah. Where Bush knows um, how to handle. So a crisis. Obama's like, response. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he did a he did just did a bang up job during yeah. Hurricane Katrina. Absolute small job. I was around for that. Heck that was heck uh, of a job. No heck problems yeah. whatsoever. And oh, yeah, so was, what happened, what Obama there. did uh, Bush and Brownie. is his yeah. response to calls to hold Bush era war criminals accountable is look forward, not backward. Like we need to look forward. Like and so what happens with that approach of look forward, not hey, backward man. on top of people forgetting, uh, you know, like what the fuck actually happened during the Bush years, which was not that long ago. Um, it allows people like John Yu to be rehabilitated in, in political life and to actually be consulted by someone like Trump when it comes to more and more uh, just Pinochet authoritarianism. And all the liberals now who were yeah. hated Bush and were like, Bush is stupid. Now the response is like, oh my God, Bush is cool. Like he's so much better yeah. than Trump. Right. He's Michelle's he's Michelle's best friend. He's just if if you candy. if you saw George Walker Bush lean over and hand a candy to Michelle Obama at the funeral of John McCain and you didn't feel a great swell of national pride in your heart, then I'm sorry, you're just cold and dead inside. You're just, uh, a, you're just a shell of a human being. How could you not have all of the sentiment during the Patriot Act era and the extraordinary rendition and the uh, the the torture of Iraqi citizens, mm-hmm. the the whole like the whole the whole Abu Ghraib fiasco, you know the 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 depleted uranium in Fallujah, all of the the people who've like not only died during the course mm-hmm. of that conflict, but all of the horrendous birth defects. And like dread diseases that have come after the fact, if all of that wasn't nullified by the act of George Bush handing a candy to Michelle Obama, <laughs> what kind of are you? I ask. Uh, a communist <laughs> is, is is the answer to that question. I I do want to. Yeah, I mean, and and we, you know, what Obama did to the Bush people. I mean, look, I would love to be wrong about this, but I mean, if even if Biden wins, all the all the you know Russiagate liberals who've been braying. For Trump and I don't even know all the other people, Roger Stone or whatever, to go to jail. You think they're all going to get pardoned? Trump's going to be back on TV in like a year. He might have to lay low for a little while, but I mean, he'll get pardoned and rehabilitated. And it's all the same. This shit just keeps on churning. I mean, they're like that's the nature. You know who's actually? You know who I feel is actually going to end up rehabilitating him? Is it's there's a part of the online white left. Michael, and I, oh god is michael I, tracy gonna be press secretary 
The, it's the people oh. the people that find Trump more funny than dangerous are going to be the ones to rehabilitate yeah. him. I think. I think. I think he's entirely too oh, gauche Boketa. for yeah for your average like shit lib. He's he's entirely too gauche. Like, he's he's just too brash. He makes fun of the people that they like, but there is yeah. a certain like incredibly irony poison section of the online left mm-hmm. that I think is going to look back just a little bit fondly on these years. You know what I mean? And and be like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a piece I mean, of the shit. Long- the lulls were unparalleled, I will say that. And yeah, yeah I mean, Trump will have to, I mean, he, he can go on Saturday Night Live and do a little self-effacing monologue or whatever. They'll have to make him do a little bit of self-effacement, but then it'll just be back on TV. You can't keep him off TV. No, I, I think because he, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you why not. Because he um, mm. just absolutely savaged some of their favorite people. Oh, like, yeah. Do you remember back when he used to say these awful things about Rosie O'Donnell? And then it just kind of, <laughs> yeah, it kind of built up from there. Like he, he doesn't really have any. There's no safe targets. Like, there's, sorry, there's no, there's no, oh, there's nobody safe. Anybody can get it. So I think because he went after a lot of the people that they happen to like. That no, I don't know that there's in like mainstream sort of like lib sections of media and politics that he's going to be redeemable. He's definitely going to be redeemable yeah. in like the conservative news section. And I think for like for super super irony poison people. I don't even know if it's going to be like a redeeming kind of thing. Right. It's going to be like, well, uh, speaking you know, of, I want to mention shit. this before I forget, yeah. but this, this relates to what we're talking about. So, uh, Joe, Joe Biden, um, I, I think he's finally checked his white privilege and you know what he said? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. We were waiting on that one. I, I, I'll vote for him now. I was I was waiting for him. Oh yeah, he's he's been for censoring him to the shit uh, and of, uh, center bypasses, and he's been listening and learning. And he said that Donald Trump is America's first racist president, first one. Like so, so Thomas Jefferson, you know, who owns slaves first and <laughs> racist president, first. I I mean I mean liter- no literally all all I mean whatever fuck it throw a bomb oh, in yeah, there yeah you know he's he said plenty of like anti-black shit. You know, I mean, what about like Ronald Reagan? Mean, like, so it, yeah, so I don't know what that racist? means. First like, racist I mean, president. I, Nixon, shit. <laughs> Nixon. Nixon. Okay, I, I, somebody was saying to me that you know Nixon was. Oh, is that was um the uh oh my gosh I, I'm gonna forget the name off the top of my head but somebody was saying to me earlier that uh, you know Nixon was pretty good at this whole racism thing I said Nixon <laughs> did for the presidency what VC Bros did for like fitness which was they gamified it yeah like they yeah. Nixon Nixon gamified racism he actually had like policy metrics so you could look to him and be like is there is there a racism happening right now. Like, are, are the spreads wide enough? Hang on a second. If I look at, like, income, if I was to look at, like, education, if I was to look at, like, entry into into higher education, if I was to look at arrests for particular kinds of drugs, like, there are very specific metrics you can look at, at like, during and after the Nixon administration where it's like, holy shit, this is an institutional racism, and it's going really well. I think Nixon, like, was... Does, yeah. If there's any credit... And deserve, also the uh, Southern strategy. The um, also, like, That's hilarious. Lyndon That's hilarious. Johnson was notorious for saying the N-word, by the way, uh, in the White House. Like, he was... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he... <laughs> Lyndon Johnson yeah. had... He had a pretty creative, like, slur word for just about everybody. So I, I, I don't I don't feel particularly special... As a matter of fact, like at, at least there were presidents that singled out specific ethnic groups for a, a type of 
um like for for special treatment like andrew jackson yeah you, you just know he fucking hated anybody of indigenous heritage and he had like he, the, I, you know he literally made bridles out of people's skin yeah Man. yeah and and, and, and yep. like and mm-hmm. teddy roosevelt just fucking yeah. hated the philippines and the mexicans right like oh, yeah. what do you what do you call them what do you call them banditis or some shit like that like you just you know that he had a very special hatred in his heart for people of spanish heritage but uh lyndon johnson yeah. it was just I, there was almost like a like a like an equal opportunity hatred that that's kind of heartwarming in a way yeah yeah i think i mean if anything he hated communists more than any specific like you know cuz yeah, that was yeah. that was the that was the that was the murderous hatred like that was still acceptable in liberal circles cuz they all really cared about civil rights at that time but you know the, yeah i think the uh the ken burns vietnam documentary has some johnson tapes he's just like come on guys let's just we just want to g- look all i want to do is kill some fucking commies over in vietnam like come on <laughs> get with the program yeah. uh but i i wanted to bring back to john Yu just real quick because i think you know what's chilling about bringing john Yu is that like the kind of shit they're doing right now you know there's always you know the question the question was always like when the government wants to do some real heinous shit it's like well it's not legal and it's like well you know that doesn't really matter but it does matter in the sense of if it if it's to become an institutionalized program, then there has to be some sort of legal justification for it. So right now, they can, you know, snatch people up, you know, waterboard them about Antifa and then turn them loose. And, you know, that's like they can do that for a little while. And like, it'll just be like, yo, what are you going to do about it? Right. But if if they're really preparing for and I think that they are, you know, Red Scare 3.0 where they're really going to start cracking down on the left and they will need like an actual legal infrastructure, which, you know, I mean, Trump initially said Antifa is a terrorist group that obviously doesn't make any sense, you know, cause it's not a, it's not a group you can classify. But it does. It does make sense. Like I think people are yeah. looking at it from the perspective of knowing that there's no such centralized organization that you can call Antifa, but yeah. from the perspective of this authoritarian fascist, it absolutely makes sense because it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it's true or yeah. not. What matters right. is can you put the perception in people's minds that this is a centralized organization that operates against the interests yeah. of America? It, Why, yes, you can do that because people are fucking stupid. Well, here's yeah. also if, like if I mean, it was I mean, says, it yes, was it similar sense. sort of reasoning applied to the 2001 AUMF and all the the legal arguments against that and particularly like because you know legally under international law when it comes to declaring war you have to declare war against a specific country with uh with a military and like you know that kind of that kind of specific organization that you can point to with al-qaeda like it's not an army it's not like it's not an official army same with you know the the taliban controlled um and to actually still now controls afghanistan but like um they are like an organization like al-qaeda or right i mean they, they don't just right. control yeah, afghanistan but, uh, i mean like, groups like okay afghanistan back to them. like oh, oh sorry about uh, that ISIS our bad or, yeah. uh, uh well specific and specifically al-qaeda like they're not formal 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 uh militaries but with the aumf it basically gave these um essentially nebulous uh terrorist groups that are mostly unified by ideology and a hatred of the united states and especially hatred of of uh u.s foreign policy in the muslim world it basically conflated them with with being 
having the same level of organization as a formal military. Now, other critics are saying, like, look, like, you know, terrorist organizations, they're not, they're not armies. So the best way to deal with them is through, like, you know, more, more law enforcement approach rather than war but that didn't matter to the bush administration because it gave them legal legal justification to use force across the globe like that was their goal was basically to use force across the globe with no congressional oversight or no checks on the executive so it gave them that power so the same logic is being applied to Antifa because yeah, like Antifa is not a it's not an organized organization but that doesn't matter as long as Trump can reasonably argue that, okay, Antifa is a terrorist organization or that it's equivalent. It gives him power. It gives him power to expand the state powers of the executive branch and basically, yeah, send federal agents to snatch people up in the street. Because that's the thing. They have a goal in mind, which is to suppress protesters, continue the massive state uh, violence and state apparatus to continually to, to subjugate black people and have a a giant war machine that can kill and drone and bomb and and do anything it wants with with no uh checks on it so yeah that's the goal with this vague language is to give the the u.s government the the military and the domestic state apparatus more and more power to use that against people that the system deems to be enemies and so right now like the system that was long used against black people, because black people in America have always been considered the other and the enemy. Um, but now, like, because white people are protesting in solidarity with Black Lives Matter under Trump's eyes and, and his cronies and the people who run the system, it's like, OK, like they're fair game, too, because they're they're organizing in solidarity with black people and are, are, are going to be like, you know, hey, fuck these uh, Confederate statues and all that. Like in this in the state's eyes. Those people are enemies. So that that's really what's going on. Is that that's the point that broad language is to expand the powers of the system and the state to use it against people and groups that they deem as enemies. And it doesn't matter if like if they're formal organizations or not, as long as like they have the power. That's all that matters. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I mean, I bring it up just to say that you know they still have to figure out like the government has to figure out internally how they go about doing that you know if they want to rico the dsa like they have to find a way to say that like they materially supported you know like like you have to make somehow make being an anarchist like illegal like as a national security threat and you have to define what that is if you like if you dress in black and wear a mask to a protest like does that make you like a member of antifa like they have to come up with like a set of criteria and stuff you know because it isn't because you can't just point to one particular organization mm-hmm. so that is what they would be bringing someone like john Yu in to do i mean that yeah the fact that like you know yeah the fact that antifa is not like an organization real organization they're not yeah they're not gonna let that stop them um but they still gotta figure it out because the thing is like laws don't just restrict powers laws like can empower the government where like people they don't know what to do yet you know because they don't under because it's like yeah maybe that's your jurisdiction or mine whatever and so then they write the law to be like to empower this branch or this agency to be able to do this so you know if they're bringing in someone like john Yu, it's because they're planning like a long counterinsurgency you you know Um, who i feel bad for in all this can can someone 
please get like uh, a small little violin note going, <laughs> just just a sad song for Alberto Gonzalez. <laughs> like what? what are your... <laughs> you know, most... he didn't. Yeah. The most he, he, feckless, he's hit, the most he's by the phone. Like, hey guys, yeah. I'm re- I'm re- I'm ready to go too. I'm right here, put me in, coach. I'm good to go. Like the most feckless, like the most cowardly piece of shit. This is the guy that went to John Ashcroft's. What he thought at the time was John Ashcroft's deathbed to try and get the uh, the torture memo signed off on. Like the only oh, the yeah. only the only fucking stooge in the Bush administration that would sink so low as to crawl on his belly and go up to like a dying man's bed and try and, tr- and just like grasp yeah. his hand with the pen inside it and try to scrawl his signature in. You know what I mean? Like he was willing to do that. And I, I mean, well, and he's, just, he's Trump, just gotten no uh, you know, play he, He's very selective so about for the which guy. token minority Amen. he works with to uh, sign on to his authoritarianism. Yeah. Well, well, that if they true. need someone, the only reason they like talk to any person of color, yeah. the Trump administration, is if they need them to eat shit on national television. So if That's they true. need, so if it starts going bad, because I mean, like you know, he like I saw Trump give comments like it was a problem in Portland and now we're handling it and now this is not going to be a problem. Like, oh no, it's worse. I mean, if the if the goal is to reinstill law and order in the city of Portland, like. I was talking to my friend who's in Portland. And he was saying that, like, yeah, last night it was just bigger than ever. Like, it's it's just getting bigger and worse. And so, you know, like, I mean, the thing is, like, even yeah, this this kind of snatch and grab shit. It's it's for the cameras. It's not really like a prolonged and sustained counterinsurgency. And so, right now, it's like, yeah, it's not really it's not really working. I mean, and if the goal is to get all the shit to die yeah. down. So yeah, they they may bring him back for something like that, because um, that seems to be the only use. Um. No, what'll what'll happen is if like if uh, Trump's popularity with the uh, the Latino population in America happens to dip below the point where he knows that there's just no chance of winning the election, then yeah, Alberto Gonzalez he's gonna get the phone call. Like he's gonna be. Oh God! And the, the image I'm the image I'm picturing in my head is just so racist that I actually am not going to describe it for you. But I am going to say, like he would do the step and fetch, the kind of tap dancing shit that you would expect out of somebody somebody as cowardly as he is. Like he would do the absolute worst he, and just ta- like, talk about how uh, great the just wall utterly is. debase himself. Oh yeah. Oh, no, no. What I had in mind was way way more racist than um, that. But I'm not going to say it on your podcast. I, it's you it's already yeah. We're already uh 45 minutes in, and um, <laughs> I I think it'd be good. To to actually transition to um five minutes yeah the uh the news of um of uh michael brooks so <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure most of our audience knows but just in case um michael brooks yeah. was a journalist and political commentator he was um co-host and co-produce uh, co-host of uh the majority report with sam cedar and he also hosted the michael brooks show um, yeah, I think it was two days ago he passed away uh, very suddenly, and I, I think according to his family, I think um, it, it, it was a, a blood blood clot or something like that, just really random and out of the blue. And uh, um, I I, I want to mention this because um, I didn't know Michael like personally, um, but we did follow each other on Twitter. We have exchanged. Uh, <clears throat> tweets and conversation on twitter but very briefly but um i do want to mention that uh when real sankara hours first started Mm -hmm. and we first got our twitter page um he was actually one of our early followers 
Um, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh, nice. Like, we, Michael, yeah. Yeah, Michael, <laughs> yeah. Michael was like that. Like, he, yeah. you know, and he, he always had time for everybody. Like, um, I got to know him because his uh, producer, David Slavic, is a really good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, uh, David and, and Heidi Matthews' children are my godchildren. So I, I, I got to know Michael uh partially through david but also partially because of like other people online like there's there's like an online sort of like left ecosphere and uh the first time that he brought me on um i was talking about like radicalization of uh especially like these these young white dudes into like whether it's the alt-right or insult them but then how they end up lashing out about it we had a really good chat about that um, but then he got to know a lot of my points of view, my my own politics, and he got super interested in it because my background is Jamaican and he's super into Caribbean politics, especially Jamaican politics. I remember the first time he had me on, uh, he said Happy Independence Day. And I, I I just wasn't even keen on what day of the week it was. I was like, Independence Day? I was like, Independence Day? He's like, no, it's Independence Day for Jamaica right now. I was like, hey, get out of here. No, it's not. And then I went I, I went and looked at the date and I was like, holy shit, yes, it is. Oh, my God. This white, this, this white boy just schooled me. And um, <laughs> after that, like, because he knew that I was super interested in, in, like, slave history. I was, I was interested in Haitian history, especially. And whenever he did segments with people that talked about Haiti, that talked about West Africa, that talked about Jamaica, talked about South America, et cetera, he would send me these segments and just, just be like, Hey man, what do you, what do you think about this? And I'd watch him be like, yo bro, this is like, this is good shit. And he would check in and like, see how I'm doing. And like, Hey, you know, like the COVID shit is pretty crazy. Eh? Like how, how's everything going? Like everything good with you. And it's like the, the amount of people mm-hmm. that he did that for just tells you like, this is just a genuine dude, but also, Hmm. Who has time to be that nice to everybody all the time? Is my like, I'm not. I'm not. I know that I'm not like that. You know. So yeah. he was. Yeah, he was just a super, super genuine and likable dude. And even times where we disagreed on things, and we butted heads, we could talk about it, and I'd feel more educated after the fact. I learned something that I didn't know. He learned something that he didn't know, and we came away just with more respect for each other. And um, yeah, I don't know, like uh. Um, when I when I yeah. heard the news at first, I didn't really want to believe it. I was like, "Man, get out of here! That's, that's not true. Get the fuck out of here!" Um, but somebody showed me that. Um, yeah. Uh, on the Sam Cedar show, that he cut off the show abruptly. Like he was like, you know, he got some news and he said what, and he cut the show off. And um, I was like distraught, and I messaged a couple people and I was like, "Hey, did this have anything to do with Michael?" Um, and a couple of people got back to me and said, yeah, like Michael passed. And I was like, man, fuck out of here. Like I, until I see the actual confirmation, like I'm just going to choose to not believe this. And then the majority report tweeted out that yes, he had indeed passed, you know? And, um, man, I was just, I, I spent the whole day and evening just completely broken up about it. Like it, it's a matter of fact, and I, I don't want to go on too much. Cause like I knew, I knew the guy enough to say like, you know, I considered him a friend, but there's obviously a hell of a lot of people that knew him way better than I did. And a lot more, more important people than me that knew him better than I did. But I, I was, um, going through our discord. So I was cleaning up some stuff on the resistance to my discord, uh, because like, you know, ahead of the launch of some, some small stuff that had to be like the little housekeeping that had to be done. And so I'm like scrolling through the users and just like making sure that I'm sorting them into the proper categories. Mm. And right there is Michael Brooks's name. And I was, I, I was so, I was so struck by that. Like just seeing his name in his face there, I just, I teared up a little bit, man. I can't even lie. Like, oh man. Um, I saw that and I, I just, I, I teared up and I choked up a bit. I was like, this fucking dude, like everything, um, 
every like the kind of person that gets to a place where he can door open doors for other people it's like he took every opportunity yeah. to do that he was never a gatekeeper he was always the person trying to get you in through the door too and yeah that's re- that yeah. really means something to me you know because a lot of people i, I do want to mention before i forget and, um, and they don't do that he had a, like one uh one thing i really respected about michael um you know even though i, I didn't know him that well but one thing i always respected is that he would have on very sharp intelligent um black voices on like black progressive radical voices on his show and um and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a tokenizing exercise and it wasn't performative it wasn't tokenizing it was like he was genuinely interest interested in black voices and in in our experience but um seriously engaging on it with you know a level of um um intellectual curiosity but also um a real p- uh political passion and empathy that um unfortunately is very very rare in progressive media and left media uh because progressive media um is very white dominated so um yeah it's not just white dominated, but also super jaded. Like, and yeah. here's what here's what bugs me about some of these left spaces is, and I, I, you know, let me not front like I don't do this myself too sometimes, but just the it becomes poisoned with irony and sarcasm and jadedness, partially because it's almost like this is a fight that we're not probably not going to be able to win in our lifetimes. And when I see uh, white people get super irony poisoned because they know that some of the key fights that we have to wage in order to hopefully ameliorate our lives, if not our lives and the lives of our children or generations after us are fights that are almost unwinnable. Like in, in, in the USA, the idea that you have to fight this hard to get universal health care is fucking abominable. It's the same in Canada. We don't have universal health care either. So we're still waging fights to make sure that people can get the care that they need because we have enough of a, we have the technology and we have the capacity to make sure that everyone's well taken care of. And the, the fact that, you know, that some of these are unwinnable, it just makes people so angry and jaded and they turn that angry feeling out on the world as a form of ugliness. And it's just like, sometimes you just don't want to go into these spaces because you're just going to be confronted with that, that static, that, that background radiation, of ironic detachment and yeah. anger all the time. And that's something that you didn't really get off of Michael. He he did he took the exact opposite tack. He he and the, and the other part is some of the like the empathy that is supposed to be extended towards every human being no matter who you are, especially like if you call yourself somebody that's on the left or of a mm, left yeah. persuasion. Oftentimes for people it stops at the border. So they you know they'll have all of the care and empathy and understanding in the world for people inside of U.S. borders, but then talk about somebody coming up from Honduras, people in Bolivia, people in Colombia, people in Guyana and Trinidad, people in Southern Africa, then it, it's it's all of a sudden like their their whole worldview changes to well you know we we do have to protect our borders and we we we, we do we do need resources and and you know they should they should engage in trade relations that are advantageous to them if they know how to negotiate and mm-hmm. hardball it's like they just people turn into fucking republicans the moment that you cross the border and michael was absolutely not like that 
he had the same care and compassion no matter who you were and no matter what nation you call yourself a part of. He was he it's almost like he took all of that negative energy and synthesized something positive out of it, which is inc- like especially now is incredibly hard to do. So, you know, hats off and, and, and mad props to dude because I'm not even capable of doing that myself. Oftentimes, I find myself getting so jaded and bitter and angry that sometimes I say shit mm-hmm. or I'm just like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Reel yourself back a little bit. Like, don't mm-hmm. don't let yourself don't let yourself fall victim. You know what I mean? Don't let yourself fall victim to this and, and, and drown in the misery that everybody else seems to be just stuck in a miasma of. So the his ability to take all the negative shit about the world and turn it into something good, even when there's nothing good to say, is a unique talent that I think is all too rare among people on the left. And the fact that we lost somebody with that kind of an ability is just, it's it, it, yeah. its a tragic loss for all it, of it's, us. It's devastating. I mean, not just obviously in the sense of the tragedy itself, but also, yeah, the he's, he's left a giant hole in you know, the left in whatever we call left media, I guess, because, you know, I, I certainly did, did never interacted with him. Um, but, you know, especially during the Bernie campaign, I would just mainline the majority report. Um, and, you know, part, I mean, mainly because of Michael Brooks and his ability to like, yeah, give off that confidence i mean i looked it up and i was like oh he was a leo of course um and and it was like but it was like he made you believe and he made you believe that you know we could do this right like something could have been like 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 it isn't just you know this like being on the left isn't just this quixotic crusade uh you know where you were just expressing all your anger out it's like no we're we could actually you know he believed that it was possible to build something that had real power and real consequences. And he was doing that. And like, like we needed him. I mean, we needed someone who took imperialism seriously, who took internationalism seriously and was able to communicate those issues, you know, in a way that like the average news consumer could digest. And he, and that's hard. I mean, it's something I've, we try to do but you know it's a it hard is, thing to yeah. do it is and, a hard needle to thread yeah and he was able to do it and you know perhaps we you know i didn't always agree with everything he said i mean you know and i always agree with everything anyone says but it was always a sense of like it was a principal disagreement you know among comrades and it's like he yeah he always was able to stay above the fray of just horrendous takes in sectarianism and sniping at each other you know which you know plagues so much of the left and i mean that's why you know when it's like yeah they're literally snatching us off the street and it's like it's still people are still complaining about like anarchists versus tankies and it's just like he was able to uh you know inspire people to to rise above that and really be serious and you know but also like have an open heart about that stuff and not be afraid to you know have have show your heart and wear your heart openly about this stuff and that's i mean i've definitely taken cues from that and lessons and i think everyone can you know with the way uh he just went about uh you know his his work it's 
yeah, it's it's I mean it's like there's there's been a lot, especially like in Columbus, there's been a, a number of like activists um, who, you know, passed prematurely, you know, and I, and it's very strange. I feel like in the kind of left micro sect to like have to deal with mortality. And I'm not someone who's ever like has the right things to say when I hear somebody's died. I'm always like, shit, that sucks. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a good, I'm not always good with at least not initially. Um, It takes me a while to formulate my thoughts about stuff. And it is like having to, you know, having to deal with like the fact that like, yeah, people are, people are dying, (laughs) you know, like this is a struggle that is like at a life and death level. And it's like, you want, you really, I I mean, you want to carry on because you want to believe that like these people, they didn't die for nothing. You know, it's, it's just like, fuck, I, you know, you just want to feel like this is going somewhere. If people are giving their lives for this stuff. It's like, we really got to, we really got to, you know, get serious about this whole revolution thing. We really got to get this whole thing going because it's just like, why are why are we always the ones who have to bury people early? It's just I'm getting tired of it, you know. You know, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it because I think you two are too nice to say it, but oh yeah, yeah. Why, I was I was thinking, yeah, I think we're all thinking early. that, yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, exa- no, exactly. Yeah, it's like, yeah, God, I think of just the amount of utter pieces of shit in that same age category that are still around and still just talking nonsense and i'm not going to get your podcast brigaded and swarmed by naming names or whatever but i'm pretty sure if you think about it for like 10 or 15 seconds you know exactly who but you know just the kind of like smug smarmy not just like you know idw or alt-right but also just these shitty dumbass lib personalities that exist for no other reason than to occupy space and to defang movements and to inject a sort of a paralytic into the discourse to make you feel like there's just absolutely nothing you can do to change anything because you yourself are not good or perfect because of all the things that you you know whether it's like you belong to a specific category of people or you yourself haven't put in enough work or whatever there's just nothing that you can do to change the world so you might as well fucking give up there are so many of those people that still exist and they get to live a long and natural and healthy lives and they make all kinds of money doing this shit but the people that are actually willing to encourage and inspire others yeah. and, al- and also um, are the ones that we always end up losing the, early. that's what i hate michael yeah, also had definitely. on his show some very, very good episodes about Thomas Sankara. So, you know, as a podcast that is named after the great Thomas Sankara, I would definitely encourage you guys to check out those episodes <laughs> because, um, yeah, like, yeah, like he, he, he covered, um, uh, you know, he, like I said, he had on black voices and engaged yeah. with them seriously. And he, he took foreign policy and, um, inter- international, like, uh, anti imperialism seriously. And one thing that was for me, a uh, particular gut punches so michael um he would have been so i checked his birth he would have been 37 next month so he was 36 when he passed away and i'm i'm 32 so we're basically the same generation and what what kind of just like yeah really hurt is that i know that he is of a particular millennial 
leftist uh indie like there's like a generation of us who are like on the left and who are like you know got our start through independent journalism um particularly and like we're millennials and we particularly came up um right around the time of like occupy arab spring so i think like you know when we're talking about uh the left media space um losing losing michael brooks felt like losing one of our own like that's what it felt like like it's just like oh like someone who i know like because um yeah because like my ba is in international relations then i have my mfa in nonfiction writing so like you know michael i know michael studied uh i think he studied like security studies so like we had similar oh okay like studied similar stuff in college had similar interests and so Mm -hmm. you know like even though i didn't know him personally i could tell like oh we've had very very similar life paths and wound up coming to yeah uh not just similar political conclusions but also like the same sort of left media ecosystem which is already you know uh is you know it exists but it's very very small so it felt like um yeah like a losing one of your own like there's a there's just a um and i emphasize the generational aspect because well i mean because he died so fucking young but also like i think um a a lot of the this this second wave of um black lives matter protests i was was talking to a friend of mine about this but this is before michael passed away but i think it's relevant for 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 this discussion is that um this current wave of black lives matter protests like it's been building up on stuff that's been done like i i would say like since occupy wall street in the arab spring like that was when like social media and twitter and all that really came into fruition to organize social movements like real like grassroots social movements and and it was around that time that i do remember like there was a generation of us millennials who were basically got fucked over by the 2008 financial crash and got into um independent media because we were passionate about the world and you know we're idealistic and we care and so we you know we went down that path and so um just just seeing that you know from occupy wall street arab spring and then to the first wave of black lives matter protests the second wave like um the reason why like a lot of these issues like particularly um single payer healthcare becoming a more mainstream issue or even the issue of inequality becoming more like ex but my point yeah my point is that like um i mean i mean right yeah like that was all yeah yeah that was all started i mean the entire Sanders, Bernie it was occupy wall campaign. street like occupy Actually. wall street yeah it started like occupy wall street and black right. lives matter exactly um really open like like expanded the horizon to accept those issues as legitimate political issues to be discussed in the mainstream and part of that was creating a leftist independent media ecosystem to make those issues uh issues that people like not like in the quote-unquote mainstream but like a, a wide swath of people can take seriously so and i say that because like you know seeing the way um people remember michael he he really did play a role in radicalizing a lot of people like especially people who were formerly like liberals or mainstream democrats because yeah. of the work that he put in 
um, and others, but, 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 you know, particularly him, um, it changed people's views and it, it changed people who were normally like, again, normie mainstream lib Democrats into becoming like, now they're like, they're Marxist Leninists or they're anarchists or they're, they're, they're socialist or, you know, uh, and, and that, that took a long time to do that. Like, that's not something that happens overnight. Like that takes a lot of time and effort to keep writing articles and, and, and study and read and, and put this shit out there on a continuous basis. Um, oftentimes with very little fucking pay <laughs> and a lot of economic insecurity and stress. And, but you're doing it because like you give a fuck, you want things to be better. You want a better world and yeah. you find the current world uh, miserable and intolerable and um it's just really really sad that you know michael's gone because he he was one of those people that played a role in that and i think a very significant role that that deserves deserves recognition and respect um and and so like yeah as someone who's who's a, a similar like progressive independent journalist and who kind of came up similarly as michael did like yeah that that it's just it it kind of hurts on that sort of um political level but also like professional level like this is kind of like you know respecting other progressive independent media people who are putting in hard work because um yeah thanks to that hard work uh people are like talking about defunding the police as as a serious issue um uh, which beforehand was like you know people people didn't people were not thinking about that and before occupy wall street people people weren't talking about inequality and things like that but the reason why people talk about it is because of independent media people who give a fuck about this shit people who've been organizing on the grassroots level um and 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 pushing on these issues and it's just really sad that um we definitely lost a soldier in that fight someone who really who really put in a lot of effort and and yeah it sucks that like yeah the people who are responsible for how terrible this world is they're still alive fucking kissinger is still alive that piece of shit asshole <laughs> and we, bolsonaro he will, he, yeah, got infected never, with covid-19 he he's He'll you be, know burning the amazon and like doing all kinds of fuck like <laughs> How the fuck this yo right. how this dude gets he got stabbed he's had covid two times how right. was he how was he still alive I, 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 like i said all the wrong uh, people are living all the wrong dark, people dark and very dark energy you know i you know i think i think on on that side it's like yeah you really do steal people's life force when you're responsible for so much death yeah. i guess what meanwhile we're just out here giving <laughs> our energy away it's i mean it is like i don't know some kind of specific brand of insanity to choose like left journalism as a career um and so you'd always you know people the people that really you know are about that life and take it seriously and and, you know to operate from a point of believing that things can happen um is you know deserve deserve acknowledgement and and i i just also want to say like i on a personal level i you know the left and i guess like left you know masculinity and like the idea of like the problem of leftist men i feel like there's just a lot of insecurities and all that stuff and you know 
what I always appreciated about Michael Brooks is that he kind of showed that it was okay to be like on the left and have some swagger, you know, have some have some confidence. And I feel like <laughs> that's a big thing that we all need is is more confidence building. And I, you know, he was really good at that. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm selfishly, I'm upset. I won't, you know, be able to check out another of his segments or anything like that. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I imagine one day, like we go yeah. on his show. Um, or another thing, um, before I forget, <sighs> you know, uh, that I think actually was a good public service that he did. I was talking to Robbie Martin about this. Um, and basically like, Michael Brooks and Sam Cedar and like especially Michael Brooks like they've done a really good job of going after like the intellectual dark web so Michael Brooks before he passed away he published a book basically giving like a leftist response to the intellectual dark web so um yeah people should people people should buy that book um you know support him and his family um I know there's going to be a foundation um set up in his name so um I, I don't know what the name of it the name or link of it but um you know definitely keep an out keep an eye out for that and support that um but one thing yeah like going after the intellectual dark web and the the dave rubens of the world and uh the jordan petersons i because i i do i do know like as a teacher like i've talked to students like you know gen z zoomer types who like they stumbled upon like um uh uh like dave rubin or, or ben shapiro yeah ben shapiro and like rubin like that kind of like idw dark web shit and um it, it does like some of that stuff actually does influence the political views of a lot of young people especially among gen z and so um i think like he did a, a an important public service um giving like a robust left-wing critique and also like very very consistently going after people like rubin and peterson and all them and, and showing them not just like i mean he gave like very sharp and intelligent responses to what they said but also like just mocking and ridiculing them which i think actually is necessary because those people are worthy of ridicule and mocking so he yeah. he combined like intellectual rigor but also like yeah he he, he would <laughs> you know he would shoot the shit he he was funny and he he mocked like what I appreciate about his humor is that he would mock and ridicule the right people, the people who deserved mock and ridicule and derision. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I like I am going to miss that. Actually, I am going to miss like the those sorts of uh, not just like I'm going to miss definitely like his 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 take and insight, particularly on leftist movements in the global south. Um great public service he did there i mean he uh, great work he did on that but also the work he did just going after just total charlatans like dave rubin and jordan peterson and and all the members of the the intellect the so-called intellectual dark web um and and also like I, I think he did a good job of um critiquing the the new atheist movement as well um so yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna miss that, and he he definitely lives he leaves um a void in the left that needs to be filled. But I think that's just a reminder for those of us to you know keep up the good fight and to you know fill fill that void. And uh, um, we're at and out. Yeah.
I think it's, uh, I was going to say, I think it's also, you know, um, a good opportunity to do a little bit of a vibe check and see where we're all at. You know, (laughs) it's, it's definitely caused me to have a little bit of introspection and what it is that I'm putting out there into the world. And the, you know, what, what kind of organization do we want resistance noir to be? What kind of commentator and writer, et cetera, do I want to be myself? Do I want to, speak truth to power in a way that inspires or do I just want to shit on people for laughs? <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. Like I love getting these jokes off, but at the same time, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, you have to, you also have to know what kind of not only audience, but what kind of world you're cultivating when you do that. So it, it gives me a lot to think about and it shouldn't have to happen this way. It shouldn't require somebody literally dying for me to exercise some more introspection but if there's any gift that I think Michael has given to a lot of people, it is to exercise yeah. a little and bit of introspection of which, because you're right, there is a sign void off, left uh, in this Andre, space. Andre, you want to talk about Resistance Noir um, and all that and what, what's coming up? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, what a pivot. Like, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, on, no. honestly, we're not the best at transitions on this show. If we, <laughs> yeah, now that, now that we just, like, you know, commiserated over a, uh, a mutual well, passing this is away. part of like, look, this is network? part of like trying to at least um, like fill that void that's been left. That's how I see it. Well, this is part of like, look, this is part of like trying to fill that void that's Yeah. Okay. No, I, I got that. Well, what I will say is that, um, it was born out of the idea that there just aren't enough spaces online, especially where it comes to the online left, where black people get to speak for themselves. I find that we, we get spoken for, we get spoken over fairly often. And do we get to write our own narratives? Do we get to exercise self-determination in the space? And oftentimes there isn't. And I'm not saying that Resistance Noir is going to be the, the sum total solution to that. What I am saying is that we can cre- we can help create that together. So it started off as an idea for a podcast with myself, Jamel, the creator, Rainy, Nina, Monet, and Ali. And that, that became the Drop Squad podcast. And we thought to ourselves, well, why not? I mean, why just our podcast? Why not, you know, do more than just the podcasting for ourselves? We can write articles. We can do video essays. We can do blog posts. But also we can help put other podcasters on. I mean, we've got a little bit of recognition in this space. So why not use what we have to bring other people in with us? And that's how um, I thought to reach out to you guys uh, with uh, Real Sankara Hours and say, well, what would you think about uh, joining up with our network and, and finding ways that we would be able to help each other? So what we've done is put together, well, I think, some pretty awesome podcasts aside from the Drop Squad podcast, which is the five of us that I just mentioned, and Real Sankara Hours. There's also Vanguard Army, which is just like episode one dropped this past week and it's an excellent podcast so far that's with uh uh lily smallwood and aaron thorpe lola trill and posada's trap god and it's politics for everyday black people you know and uh what they've been doing with it so far and some of their ideas that i've seen them pitching for future episodes is just amazing and then there's the uh tv film and culture podcast within our gates with uh m2may gant who's an actor director and a film studies professor and again what he's putting together for that podcast is really exciting me and um you know, and Tume and I, we've had conversations about, you know, the way that black film is playing out right now and that black film mm. is being made by <laughs> black people that don't even really seem to like other black people that much. And no one's no one's really <laughs> talking about that. And I'm like, yo, M. Tume, you got to talk about that. So, yeah. you know, I'm really hoping that people like what we're putting together. I'm really hoping that people will feel that if they support us, 
uh, through their Patreon memberships that they're getting their money's worth out of it. But, you know, we're always open to suggestion. We're always open to new ideas. And, and so far, I think we've put together, especially in such a short time, we've put together something really magical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hope to, you know, have to get more involved and have a lot of those people on and hopefully maybe go on some of their shows and, you know, spread the love. Because, yeah, building a uh, building a real black leftist media ecosystem is is of dire importance dire yeah. importance i mean we've talked about it on this show you know carrying on yeah. the tradition of you know the chicago defender and the liberator and you know the call and all that stuff i mean those newspapers were you know a uh, were a critical part in the liberation struggles of the past and you know, as we understand where we're going as a people, I mean, you know, media is an integral part to that and to helping to figure that out and help get there. So, you know, and especially in the era of all, I mean, a lot of the, the blacks, uh, you know, the black media sites are like owned by Univision or, you know, just... Yep. Yeah, the, the, the quote-unquote <laughs> black sites and ecosystems aren't even owned by black people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the quality control has just been it's just fucking abysmal. You know, you know, like, and when I say quality control, I'm talking about, like, what is it that people are talking about? Are they actually speaking to black people, about black people, or they're, are they catering to a white audience? And I'm finding oftentimes it's catering to a white So when I say that, you know, it's by black people and for black people, I'm not saying that white people shouldn't tune in. What I'm saying is that the audience we're primarily speaking to are black people on the left. Anybody who else wants to tune in wants to tune in, and that's absolutely yeah. fine. But we have to be able to have conversations in our own spaces. We have to be able to learn and grow and build yeah. together. And just as you were mentioning just a second ago, Peter, like we have to be able to bring, build bridges to the past. I find that everything right now mm-hmm. is so presentist and so rooted in absolutely nothing material and nothing historical that we fall for just about anything. And unfortunately, what I've been seeing with you know publications like The Root, like Blavity, like The Griot, is that there is no connection to our radical history and tradition. I'm not saying that we're, you know, the the space for radical people to show up and that we're the most radical radicals. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination at all. I just want to be able to give people a link to our previous or like to our to our radical histories. I, I want to be able to open up that space for people that do feel a way about the state of the world and just, just feeling really what do you want to call it, upset we're angry or disaffected with the way that things are and to show them, Hey, you're not the first generation of people to feel like that. Here's not, not only are you not the first generation of people to feel like that. There is a reason that you feel that way. Here is a little bit of material dialectics. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was such a weird transition, but I do want to, I just want to kind of, uh, um, well, the reason why I, kind of made that indirect connection to michael brooks is because um i mean yeah there's a void that needs to be filled um throughout left media but um again what i said earlier is that i do respect that he had on very sharp progressive radical black voices on and uh he was able to platform um people who previously didn't have access to a uh, a larger audience and uh yeah, I, I like I'm like I was I was talking to David this like 
um, late last week, early this week, David was mm. like, "All right, so when are we going to get you on the show? Do you want to you want to go on the show and talk about resistance?" Talking about Michael Brooks show, you know, David was uh, um, getting us set up to go yeah. on the show, yeah. you know, and it's just like, fuck, out of nowhere, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. On on the one hand, here I am, just like I'm thinking about like, man, I haven't talked to Michael in such a long time, and here I am, like, about to like go on a show. And why does why is David the one that has to uh, to set that up? Like, why didn't I talk to him myself and be like, yo, Michael, this is what we're up to. What do you think about this? And like, I just think about this over and over and over. Like, why didn't I reach out to the man? Why didn't I talk to him? Why didn't I let him know what we're doing? Like, why did he have to find out? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, why did he have to find out through a third party? Although he knows both me and David super well, and like the three of us are like. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 yeah. not as of any of us but, are um, strangers to each other. But it's I uh, just, man, it fucking sucks. I lost really sucks. A, a dear friend of mine after I graduated high school. Um, he died in a drowning accident. So um, uh, it's something that I still remember. But you know, when I uh, hear of other people passing away who were really young, I, I think about that moment. And one thing, um, one thing it taught me about like grief and death is that. Um, I think a lot of the reactions to Michael's death and I think I think are really normal because when someone dies especially that young um you feel incredibly helpless like cuz there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do like death is like that final thing like there's no turning back and you have no control over it whatsoever and that is fucking scary um but what you can control is how you react to it um and people have different ways in which they process and react to death and no one way is better than the other but um i i think like what what i've been thinking about in relation to michael's passing is that um and i'm sure he would want this is that uh you know just just continue on the work that people like him are already doing like that's that's the best way that we can yeah both create a better world particularly one that's a lot better than the fucking one we live in right now um and to fight you know to continue on the fight for the things that you know michael believed in but also like you know other um activists who've died at young ages um and and yeah, so like that's that's something I've been trying to think about um, in reaction to Michael's passing is to just continue the work uh, that he's been doing. And um, I don't know. I, sometimes I think about like metaphors and images and shit like that. I think that's probably what happens when you get an MFA. You start thinking about metaphors and shit. <laughs> so I was thinking like uh, this fight is sort of like <laughs> we're trying to reach a goal, yeah. right? Like we're in this sort of fog and this storm. And it seems very scary, and it's uncertain. It's dark, and it's storming, and it's, it's all this, right? Um, but some of us are like, you know, there's this storm going on, and it seems scary and tumultuous. But at the end of that storm, like, there's going to be like a bright future. There's going to be like sun, um, blue sky. Like things are going to uh, look better. Uh, we'll be out of this storm, and we'll be in something better. And I think. I apply that to to this thing we call the left because I think like uh, all of us, no matter what walk of life and experience we come from, I think we come into the left because we're looking for that, that sunny sky at the end of the storm. And we're all trying to fight to get there. And 
during that long march to that, um, unfortunately, one of our comrades is passed away on the journey. Like he's no longer with us. And the only thing we can do is just keep marching toward that brighter future, but to still pay respect to a fallen brother and a fallen comrade. Um, So to me, that's Michael, like a fallen brother, a fallen comrade. Um, But also like to keep marching toward that brighter future because it's something we all need and it's something the planet really needs. So um, that's all that's, that's, that's what I've been thinking. And I think like the, the kind of work we're doing. um, Yeah. It's part of that longer march to that brighter future. Those sunnier skies, the, the brighter future away from that storm. And it's just, I, I, um, it's sad that, uh, Michael wasn't able to reach that goal with us, but Hopefully we can reach it there and, and yeah. 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 I, I, one thing I do want to say, um, I think a way to honor, you know, his memory is like, you know, for the left to do that is let's be just better to each other. We just like stop all the, you know, it's very easy to be shitty to each other. And I, you know, I like seeing the unity that's been, that's come out, you know, I mean, from all spectrums of the left, you know, around his death is, is, I I hope that we can carry that on and, you know, stop, you know, clamp down on the sectarianism and all the name calling and memes and all that shit. And, you know, let's just, I mean, we got to synthesize, we got to work together and, we don't have a lot of time and you know it's like it is like yeah we you know we have to keep going cuz can you imagine the idea you know and this you know i i, I feel about this the way i felt you know learning that people that i knew in columbus um who were like involved in activism and stuff you know died early um committed suicide and it is just like, you, you yeah, you want to, you just want to feel like this means something and there's a point to it. And like, yes, let's, uh, let's, let, let's stop being shitty to each other. I, you know, let's, I, I think that the direction I've just, I've been taking my life. I mean, this kind of just underscores that this, you know, I need to keep going in that direction, but it's like, uh. Yeah, I we just we get because we got we can't let these bastards win. I mean, we just fucking can't, dude. I just hell no, hell hell no. Like fuck that. Do the do these assholes get to win just because like we were too busy arguing with each other to like <laughs> do something about it? So you know, let's let's uh yeah, let's let's be better to each other. Let's lift each other up. Um. Instead of you know dunking and quote tweeting <laughs> that shit, um, God let's damn it. Okay, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Fuck the no quote tweet challenge. <laughs> yeah, let's let's just let's just do everything that Andre doesn't do. Let's just every everybody on this well, podcast I mean, named like, Andre uh, can uh, fuck look, off if, if and you're go gonna to hell. Have venom, like, you know, make sure you aim right. Like aim at the right target. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. like you yeah. know, like 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 don't, be, don't be a little bit more laterally, accurate where you shoot you know? your shots. Like like yeah. some people, some people deserve derision, but sometimes I think like intra left fights, like um, sometimes it gets like uh, sometimes it becomes like a circuit. Okay. Look, as long as long as as long That's as I'm fine. still allowed to make fun of Gwen Snyder, I'll be okay. As, as long oh, as I can, God. as long as I can make fun of people that do like 392 tweet threads, I'll be fine. Oh man! Why, why did you even have to bring up Gwen Snyder? Was, <laughs> because because <laughs> because you brought me down. So you know, as yeah, one as one as one. Listen, if I'm going to like you know try to try to exercise some self restraint, I'm just gonna get like one last one out of my system before I go. Yeah, that, that's, that's, part, that's what they say. One one more hit. And then I'm done. <laughs> I can listen. I can stop irony posting anytime I want. Okay. Okay. Well, let's stop now. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, this might be a this might be a good time to wrap um, it up. Um, anyone have ahead, any Andre. final words? Um. Uh, yeah. Listen to Resistance Noir Twitch tv no wait no 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 my bad let me take that one over yeah uh listen to resistance noir uh, patreon.com forward slash r z n w a gets you access to all of our podcasts all of the uh the premium content to the discord merchandise yeah um also yeah, so, yeah uh, if you this like what saturday we do, please support us um which will be what the 25th i will be on a resistance squad twist stream with uh lily of uh vanguard army um we're gonna try to make it a regular thing but yeah i've been i've been on the resistance squad twist streams a few times really enjoyed it lots of fun peter's been on as well so um yeah you'll you'll be seeing yeah. us on the resistance squad network on on the twitch um i'm getting used to twi- uh twist streaming and all that um so yeah we'll we'll be on um and uh yeah, like I mean, <clears throat> the the spirit of this podcast, which definitely aligns with the spirit of Resistance to War, is um, Black Resistance and Black Black Liberation. Um, so yeah, like uh, I'm I'm personally really excited to be working with you guys at Resistance to War because I think yeah we're our yeah we're we're pretty much on the same yeah. same exact side and have the same kind of politics and grievances and i yeah building that connection i think is yeah. um really important and uh so yeah the, um so yeah spirit of black resistance and um yeah uh i'll, I'll be on a twist stream with lily on saturday and that'll be a more um regular thing but uh um yeah keep the faith and um that's i think that's it right yeah that's there you go and Keep stay, the faith dangerous. And stay dangerous all right peace y'all yeah peace, peace.